السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما باب نمبر 33 باب الحرص على الحديث الحرص what does hirs mean greed strong desire How else would you explain hirs? When somebody is very eager to do something. In a way, when somebody is obsessed with something, they love it, they desire it, they don't want to part from it. How else would you explain the word hirs? Yearning. So hirs is basically when somebody badly desires, badly wants something. Just imagine, something that you really like, something that you're craving, something that you desire. What happens to you then? You're thinking about it. You're talking about it. You're planning to have it, right? You're planning as to how you're going to get it. You're obsessed about it, right? That's what you can think of, that's what you can dream of. You can never have enough of it. You can never ever have enough of it. No matter how much you have, you know that there's always more to get. There's always more to enjoy. And hence, this greed It always has to do with enjoyment, meaning you badly want something. Why? Because you enjoy it. You like it. There's pleasure associated with it. Because if there was no pleasure, if there was no happiness, then you would not want it. Right? So it's like badly wanting something, and when you have it, then you're satisfied. Without it, you don't feel satisfied. So, al-hirs, greed, desire, yearning, for what? Ala al-hadith, for hadith. You're not happy with just having it once, but you want it again and again. So, al-hirs ala al-hadith, greed, desire, yearning for hadith. Meaning being greedy, being eager to learn, being eager to understand, being eager to memorize, to study what? The hadith, which hadith? The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Not the hadith of other people, not qil wa qal, but rather the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. There are two people that can never ever be satisfied. One is the person who desires this world, who desires material things, who desires this dunya. No matter how much he has, he wants more. He's never ever satisfied. And secondly, the person who desires knowledge. The person who likes ilm. Because he knows that no matter how much he has learned, there is always more to gain. Similarly, the one who loves dunya, He knows that no matter how much he has, there is always more to gain. But we see that one type of hirs is mahmuda and the other is madmuma. Which hirs is mahmuda? Is praiseworthy? Hirs for ilm. And which is blameworthy? The hirs for dunya. Because the hirs for dunya, what is it that will finally satisfy it? What? The grave. When the earth is going to fill the mouth of the person. Only then he will be satisfied. And ilm, we see that when a person desires ilm, what he receives is only beneficial. And when a person desires dunya, then that only makes him selfish and cowardly. And it makes him sometimes very harsh with other people. It takes him to committing injustice as well. But when a person desires ilm, then it only makes him a beneficial, a productive person. Its fruits are only beneficial. And we all have to check over here that what is it that we like to have? Some people, they desire to have 
to learn about perhaps more recipes or perhaps more about fashion designs, what other people are doing, what other people are saying, where they are going. So they're obsessed with just checking their phone all the time, reading the tweets, reading Facebook updates, whatever it is. It, it becomes like an obsession. No matter how much a person has read on Twitter or on Facebook, he feels that there is more to read. So this type of greed, this type of desire, is it beneficial? Perhaps it is beneficial in a limited way. It brings limited benefit to a person or temporary benefit to a person. But we see that hips for ilm, its benefit is eternal. It benefits a person in this dunya and it also benefits a person in the hereafter. Let's look at the hadith. حدثنا عبد العزيز بن عبد الله قال حدثني سليمان عن عمر بن أبي عمر عن سعيد بن أبي سعيد المقبري عن أبي هريرة أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه he narrated that أنه indeed he قال he said قيل it was said يا رسول الله O Messenger of Allah من أسعد الناس who are the luckiest of people bishifa'atika with your shif with your shafa'a with your intercession yawm al-qiyamah on the day of judgment who are those lucky people who will receive your intercession on the day of judgment qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam replied laqad certainly zanantu i knew i was certain ya aba hurayrata o abu huraira and that la yasalani no one will ask me an hadha alhadith about this matter about this thing ahadun anyone awwalu minka before you i knew that nobody was going to ask this from me but you you would be the first one to ask this question from me why did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say this lima ra'aytu because of lima because of what ra'aytu i have seen min hirsika of your greed of your desire ala hadith for hadith as'adun nasi the most luckiest of people bishifa'ati with my intercession yawm al-qiyamah on the day of judgment are who man those who qala he said la ilaha illallah there is no god worthy of worship but allah but how did he say it khalisan with sincerity min qalbi from his heart aw nafsihi or his nafs Meaning he really meant it. He honestly said it. He truly believed in it. Whoever said it like this will be deserving of the shafara of the Prophet ﷺ when? On the Day of Judgment. What do we see in this hadith? That Abu Hurairah he was the one who asked this question from the Prophet ﷺ. And when he asked this question, the Prophet ﷺ said that I knew that you would be the one to ask. Why? Because of the hirs that he saw in him for hadith. So this shows to us that Abu Hurairah was the most ahrasun nas over what? Ala hadithi Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are some people who are ahrasun nas ala hayatin. But we see that ahrasun nas ala hadithi Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was who? Abu Hurairah And we see that he learned and he also narrated many ahadith. He learned and he narrated many ahadith despite the fact that he embraced Islam much later and he came to Medina much later. There were many companions who had migrated before him, who had accepted Islam before him. When did Abu Hurairah come to Medina? At the battle of Khaybar. So it was much later, six years, much later. 
But despite that, we see that he learned many ahadith and he also narrated many. And the Prophet ﷺ knew that Abu Hurairah would be the one to ask him this question, not because he knew the knowledge of the unseen, but because of the hirs that he saw in him. Many people claim that they love ilm. Hmm? Many people say that they desire to learn more. But there are only a few people who prove it, who show it. Abu Hurairah he didn't just claim that he loved knowledge, but rather he proved it. It could be seen in his attitude. It could be seen in the way that he was living, in the way that he went after the companions of the Prophet ﷺ as well and asked them questions. And we see that such questions, like the question that Abu Hurairah asked, it can only come from who? From a person who really wants ilm. Interesting questions come from who? People who don't think much? No, it comes from, they come from people who really think a lot. People who are interested in learning more. So he proved it, he lived it. And we see that Abu Hurairah, when he was in Medina, how did he live? In his own house? Hmm? With his family? Is it? No. He lived in the masjid. He was of the Ashabu Sufa, who had dedicated their days and their nights to what? Learning. Learning from the Prophet ﷺ, collecting their ilm, and whenever there was a time to go for any battle, it was the Ashabu Sufa who would accompany the, the Prophet ﷺ mainly. They were the ones who were with the Prophet ﷺ the whole time, at home and also outside of Medina. So it is only when a person dedicates himself, can he learn. And it is only when a person has hirs for ilm, can he dedicate himself. A person cannot learn until he dedicates himself. A person cannot dedicate himself until he has hirs. Until he has that greed for knowledge. Until he has that yearning for knowledge. That desire for it. And we see that Abu Hurairah, he would be hungry many times. He would be thirsty many times. He would be tired many times. But still he did not give up. He kept going. What drives you? What drives you? It's that hirs, right? Even when you're hungry, what keeps you going? Even when you're tired, what keeps you going? It's that yearning when you badly, badly want something. Now the question is, how can you have hirs for knowledge? When can a person have hirs for knowledge? What can make a person have hirs for ilm? That first of all, when a person realizes the importance, the value of knowledge. I want you to write this down, the answer to the question. Why do you think it's important to learn? I'll give you 30 seconds. Write the answer down. Why do you think it's important to learn the deen? So that a person can know the way which is approved by Allah, so that he can enter Jannah, to prepare for eternal life, to know about Allah. We cannot strive to be the best if we do not have ilm. To strive against ignorance, to correct our actions, it's the way to get Ridwanullah and the way to save ourselves from destruction. The deen is what our whole life, our entire life revolves around. If we don't have the knowledge of the deen, then how are we living? To gain the pleasure of Allah and to help others gain that pleasure. To have yaqeen, to worship Allah, to obey Allah when He said iqra. If we don't know, then how will we save ourselves from hellfire? To know if we are on the right path or not? To fulfill our purpose, to preserve the knowledge and to pass it on. This is the only thing that makes me happy. This is why I have to learn. There are many reasons as to why a person must have their ilm of this deen. There are many reasons. And mashallah, you have mentioned many. If a person does not have 
their ilm of the deen. Is he missing something in his life? What is he missing? Everything, purpose, life itself. So if a person does not have this ilm, he is missing out on a lot. And if a person does not have this ilm, he is missing out on a lot in this world as well as in the hereafter. So until we realize how important it is to learn, we cannot have hirs for ilm, we cannot be greedy for it. The more a person wants Jannah, the more a person wants the pleasure of Allah, the more a person wants to worship Allah, the more he will want to learn. And if a person is content the way he is, the way his relationship is with his Lord, the way his relationship is with other people, the way he thinks about the hereafter, if he's content with it, then he will not desire anymore. You only want more when you want to better yourself, when you want to improve your condition, when you want self-improvement. So when a person desires improvement, then he will desire knowledge. And if a person does not desire improvement, then he will not want knowledge at all. So, hirs ala al-ilm. When a person will have that, then only will he be able to dedicate himself. Then only will he be able to give priority to learning. He will be able to give preference to ilm. And he will be able to put it above everything else. Otherwise, sometimes hunger will prevent us. Sometimes thirst will prevent us. Sometimes wanting to have a change will prevent us. Then little, little things will distract us. That we're sitting in class and we won't be able to sit. We will be distracted. We will want to go outside. We will want to check our phones. We will want to do other things. Then a person cannot dedicate himself. And if you see this in yourself, that you're not able to dedicate yourself, then ask, do I really want it? If I don't want it, then what's the problem? Question yourself. Ask yourself. And ask Allah for this hirs. Ask Allah for this desire, for this love of ilm. Because if a person does not have this love of ilm, then he will not learn. If he will not learn, then he will not improve. If he will not improve, then what will be his fate? So we see a great example in Abu anhu, How he had dedicated himself and how he was not distracted by anything. And we see that when he dedicated himself entirely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not deprive him. He dedicated himself to learning and soon what happened? The woman whom he worked for is the one whom he married. Just imagine how his status was automatically elevated, automatically raised up in the society. And he was the teacher. He was the one who was imparting knowledge of the deen. And imagine how much respect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him in the eyes of other people. And even the pleasures of this world, he was not deprived of that. So never ever think that if you dedicate yourself to learning, you'll be deprived of something. You may be hungry, but don't worry. Allah will feed you. You may be thirsty, but don't worry. Allah will feed you. You may be tired, but don't worry. Allah will give you rest. That when he showed how dedicated he was, and he was so inquisitive, he kept on asking questions, and he kept on learning, kept on inquiring. The Prophet ﷺ saw that in him, and he also prayed for him. That may Allah give him the ability to remember and not forget what he learned. Let's continue. Bab kaifa yuqbadul ilm? How knowledge will be taken away? Kaifa how yuqbadu? It will be seized. Al ilmu knowledge, meaning how it will be taken away from the people. Knowledge is a blessing, and when a people are not grateful for a blessing, it is taken away. Ingratitude to blessings leads to deprivation. 
A person is completely deprived of those blessings. So when people don't value ilm, when people will not show any interest in it, then a time will come when Allah will also take away that knowledge from the people. So while we have it, what should we do? We should appreciate it. We should strive to benefit from it. And at the same time, we should act on it and we should also spread it because a time will come when it will completely disappear. What are the ways of preserving knowledge? What are the ways of preserving ilm? Memorization, teaching it to others, acting upon it, writing it, recording it. So action, spreading, and thirdly, preserving knowledge. Whether it means preserving it in your memory or preserving it in a document, preserving it in audio format, whatever. Preserving knowledge. So these are the ways of preserving knowledge. So when people will not preserve knowledge anymore, meaning they will not act on it, they will not spread it, they will not write it, they will not memorize it, then what will happen? They will lose in completely. Allah will take away that knowledge from them. Now if you think about it, one way that you are preserving ilm is what? When you are writing, when you're taking your notes. How do you take your notes? Are you able to read them? Are you able to understand them when you read them? Alhamdulillah. Make sure that you take your notes properly. Because you don't know how they may benefit someone one day. You really don't know. It's quite possible something that you've written right now may be preserved and eventually somebody else will read them and benefit from them. Hmm? Let me give you an example. You know Sister Aisha? When she was teaching tafsir, when she would prepare the lessons, she would spend hours in preparing her notes. Literally, she would walk out of the class, she would go into her office, close the door, and she would sit there until the evening. Many times I would leave and I would see all the lights are off, but the lights of her office would be on. And her tafsir notes are worth reading. She's done all her research, all her references, all the sentences are complete. Everything is, you know, perfectly written, organized. Honestly, it's a joy. You read them and you enjoy them. You really enjoy them. So the way she has written her notes, and alhamdulillah, when I was teaching tafsir, I asked her if I could borrow her notes. And believe me, that saved me so much time. Because she had done all the research, all the references were there, all the ayat were written, everything was there. So all I had to do many times was just copy-paste from there. Literally. So the notes that we write, this is a means of preserving ilm. And take it seriously. Take it seriously. Organize your notes well. Write them well. And keep them in a way that they can be benefited from in the future. By yourself and also by others, inshallah. So if people don't preserve knowledge, then what will happen eventually? It will be taken away. So كَيْفَ يُقْبَضُ الْعِلْمُ How will it be taken away? وَكَتَبَ عُمَرُ بْنُ عَبْدِ الْعَزِيزِ And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he wrote. Who is Umar ibn Abdul Aziz? He was a khalifa. So he wrote إِلَى to Abi Bakr, to Abu Bakr ibn Hazm. Abu Bakr ibn Hazm. And Abu Bakr ibn Hazm was a tabiri, he was a faqih. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, when he was a khalifa, he would consult Abu Bakr a lot concerning, you know, all the political affairs. So he would take his shura a lot. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he wrote to Abu Bakr ibn Hazm that Undur, look at, meaning research, ma kana, whatever there is, من حديث رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم of the hadith of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم research 
whatever ahadith are out there, faktubhu, and then write it down. Meaning, write down the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Fa'inni, because indeed I khiftu, I fear, durus al-ilmi, durus, the teaching of al-ilm, the knowledge. Meaning, I fear that a time will come when knowledge will no longer be taught. Wa and the going away, the departure, the death of who? Al-ulama, the scholars. I fear that soon this knowledge will go. I'm afraid that knowledge will vanish and the people of knowledge will also go away. So when knowledge is gone and the people of knowledge are gone, then what will mankind be left with? If there are no books, if there are no written matters, if there is no written matter, and on top of that there are no people who know ilm, then what will people have? Where will they learn from? And he said to him that wala taqbal and do not accept meaning when you're recording the ahadith when you're writing them down then do not accept illa accept hadith and nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam only the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam meaning don't mix with it the statements of other people don't mix with it anything else only record what the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam wal tufshul ilma and you all should spread al ilm if sha to spread so you all should spread ilm who is he saying this to? Abu Bakr ibn Hazm. And he was a faqih, he was a scholar. So he's saying that you and people who are like you, meaning Ahlul Ilm, what should you do? Spread this knowledge. tajlisu, And you all should sit. Meaning you all should sit in gatherings of ilm, teaching ilm, hatta until yu'allama. He is taught. Who is taught? Malayalamu, the one who does not know. Spread ilm. And sit in gatherings of ilm. And teach ilm. Instruct until those who don't know, come to know. So that there is not even a single person who is left ignorant. فَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ Because indeed ilm, indeed knowledge, لَا يَهْلِكُ It does not die, حَتَّى يَكُونَ سِرًّا Until it becomes a secret. Meaning knowledge only perishes when it is kept as a secret. When knowledge is kept as a secret, then what happens? It goes away. This is how ilm will be yuqbatu. This is how it will depart. This is how it will be taken away. حدثنا العلاء ابن عبد الجباري قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن مسلم عن عبد الله بن دينار بذلك. يعني حديث عمر بن عبد العزيز إلى قوله ذهب العلماء. So he's basically mentioning another chain that so and so has also narrated this to us. Now, Umar ibn عبد العزيز رحمه الله, his letter. What does it teach us? What does it show to us? It shows to us how knowledge will depart, how it will be taken away. That it will be taken away when there are no resources left. What are the resources of ilm? Either books or people of knowledge. So if knowledge is not written, it is not recorded, and there are no people of knowledge left, and there are no study circles, no places where a person can go and learn, then eventually knowledge will Die, it will finish. When there are no more study circles, when there are no more books, and when there are no more teachers. When these are gone, then there is no more ilm left. And this is the reason why Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he instructed that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ be written, it be recorded. And this shows to us the permissibility of writing and recording the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. You may say, of course, why not? Initially, we see that there was a difference of opinion amongst the people, amongst the scholars, whether it was okay to write the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ or not. Why? Because they feared that it would be mixed up with the Qur'an. However, this is 
completely permissible. This is absolutely okay. Why? Because it is quite clear to people what Qur'an is. And now alhamdulillah, the way the Qur'an is written in a mushaf, it is distinct from the way other Arabic texts are written. So this shows the permissibility of writing and recording the hadith. And this also shows the reliability of written matter. That if you see something written, something that has been recorded, it may be accepted as an evidence. Obviously there has to be some proof of it, some evidence of it. Meaning if a person has read something from a book and it is backed up by evidence, it is an acceptable means of learning ilm. Okay, It is an acceptable means of acquiring ilm. Because Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he said that write it down, preserve knowledge. We see that it is very important that knowledge be written. Because when the people of knowledge are gone, their knowledge should not go with them into their graves. Isn't it so? So how is it that they can make sure that while they are gone, their knowledge remains? What they learned, what they understood remains. How? When they have written it. When they have recorded it. And we see that so many scholars of the past, their knowledge has reached us. How? By their books. They wrote their books, and as a result, we have learned from them. Have you heard of um, Tafsir al-Jalalain? Have you heard of it? Has anyone read it? Even a part of it? Some of you have, right? If you read it, it's a very brief, to-the-point, precise Tafsir. And literally, he has explained parts of the eye with just two or three simple words. And there's also an English translation that is available. Who's the author? As-Suyuti. Jalaluddin As-Suyuti. You know how he started writing his books? He was, obviously, you can imagine a person who had ilm. He would be busy teaching other people, you know, busy with other people. A time came when he left everyone and he requested that a place be built with for him away from the people. And he lived there and he wrote and wrote and wrote until he passed away. This is how he wrote so many books. You need to, you know, keep yourself away from distractions in order to write, in order to write well. And the thing is that if you don't write well, if you don't write, then what's going to happen? Your knowledge is going to go with you. It's not going to remain. So it's necessary that when those people who have they die, they make sure that before death comes to them, they have written, they have recorded. Many authors do that. That they prefer seclusion, you know, and they opt for it, and and that is how they write and write, research and write. And these days, alhamdulillah, there's absolutely no difficulty when it comes to publishing, you know, what you've written or what you want to write. Honestly, if you start writing, even on a blog, it's for free. You don't have to pay for it, you don't have to buy it, you don't have to do anything. Isn't it so? But something that you have learned, you must preserve it so that other people can benefit from it. Therefore, write in whatever way that you can. Preserve that knowledge and share it with others in whatever way that you can. And we see over here that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he first of all instructed that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ be written. Why? Because he said, I fear ulama. I fear that there will be no more studying of ilm and the ulama will also go, meaning they will die. And he said that وَلَا تَقْبَلْ إِلَّا حَدِيثَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And then he encouraged the Ahlul Ilm that وَالْتُفْشُ الْعِلْمَ And you must spread ilm وَالْتَجْلِسُوا And you should sit حَتَّى until يُعَلَّمَ مَنْ لَا يَعْلَمُوا Until he is taught who? The one who does not know. So the Ahlul Ilm, what should their focus be? What should their goal be? What should their target be? To just teach one person? To teach only two people? To teach only their families? To teach only their children? To teach only their friends? What should be your goal? To teach who? 
That those who do not know come to know. That should be your goal. And if that is your goal, then when can you take rest? Then when can you take a break? You can't. Because ignorance is widespread. It's everywhere. It would be unfair that there are people who do not know, and we know, but we don't tell them. So he exhorted, he encouraged the Ahlul Ilm that you must sit, well tujlisu, and you must sit, sit where? In gatherings of ilm. Meaning you should remain sitting. Never stop teaching. Continue teaching. Until those who don't know come to know. That if you look at it, this is hadith number 100. Inshallah what we're going to read is hadith number 100. Right? And 100, I mean, it's a lot. Alhamdulillah. Right? So when you have acquired so much, then you cannot sit. Then you have to pass it on. And you have to sit amongst people. You have to be with them in order to teach them. If this is your target, that Qur'an for all, in every heart, in every hand, then you can never say that, yes, we have fulfilled this goal or this purpose or this objective. Why? Because people are always being born. And there are always people who don't know. So there are Countless people who need to learn, who want to learn, and it would be unfair if we did not help them, if we did not teach them. We never sit. Why? Because there's so much, so many people want to learn, so many people want to come and, you know, they want somebody to teach them. You know, just even reading of the Qur'an. And I would encourage all of you to first figure out, okay, have you completed everything on your side? You know, first figure that out. If you've already studied everything that, you know, has already been offered, you have all your credentials, everything that's needed, finish that up first and then, inshallah, do something right away. Don't, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take a small break. Because sometimes that small break turns into a long break. So until other people come to know, our responsibility is not over. Our duty is not over. And I want you to honestly just come to the weekend class and just see. Just come and see the weekend class on Saturday, Sunday. I'm sure all of you are free. Just come for some time. And just come and see what uh, so many of you uh, who are sitting here are doing in that class. Alhamdulillah. And there are so many people who don't know how to read the Qur'an. But they're desperate to learn. Desperate to learn. And you know what? All of these people work five days a week or they go to school five days a week and they come and study the Qur'an on the weekends. They have dedicated their Saturdays and Sundays for this. Literally people come and they cry and they say, please take us in. There's so many listeners who are coming, young girls who are coming, older ladies who are coming, all types of people, literally all types of people. There was a lady who came to me one day and she said that, please don't mind, I look at you throughout the class. I said, it's okay. She said that, you know, don't mind, I have to do that. And she said that I was deaf for all my life and I had a surgery a few years ago and I just started hearing recently. But I'm not used to hearing. I can only lip read. This is why I sit in the front and I look at you. All types of people. Another lady came to me. She said, sister, please don't mind. Sometimes I doze off in class. It's not because I don't like being here. It's because I work during the night and I come home at 7.30 in the morning. I come home at 7.30 in the morning and then she's here at Al-Huda at 10 o'clock in the morning. All night she works and she comes to study during the day. It's a big sacrifice on her part. Don't you think it would be unfair? There are people who are sacrificing their weekends, their sleep time to come and study, but we don't have the time to help them. We don't have the time to teach them. 
we don't have the time to even appreciate their efforts. That if somebody has committed to come and study on the weekends, it's a big, big sacrifice on their part. And it really shows how serious they are. It shows how serious they are. And when they are so serious, then why can we not be that serious? Even at Ilmfest, they were there. They were in class. And after class, many of them went. Whoever did, there were some people who skipped class, but I would say 80% of the class was still there. This is how, mashallah, mashallah, dedicated they are. There was another sister who came to me and she said, Sister, I just want to tell you I love being here. I just want to tell you that my mother forced me to come here. I fought with her. I argued with her. I cried before her. I resisted so much, but she made me come here. And I love it here. So this is the Qur'an. There are people who are desperate to learn. So we need to come up and help them, inshallah. So this is the Qur'an. So this is just a reminder for myself and also yourself. That when Allah has given us this ilm, it's not fair that we just sit with it. Because look at the words, فَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ لَا يَهْلِكُ حَتَّى يَكُونَ سِرًّا When ilm is kept as a secret, then it dies, then it vanishes, then it disappears. And if you keep it as a secret in your heart, it may also disappear from your heart. If you don't share it, it will go away. Just like a camel, it will go away. And when you lose it in the desert, it's gone. So, فَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ لَا يَهْلِكُ حَتَّى يَكُونَ سِرًّا If you want to preserve it, come up and share that knowledge. InshaAllah. Let's continue. Let's read the hadith. حدثنا إسماعيل بن أبي أويس قال حدثني مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عبد الله بن عمرو بن العاص قال he said سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن الله indeed Allah لا يقبض لا يقبض he will not seize he will not take away العلم the knowledge انتزاعا by pulling it away by forcefully taking it away no Meaning Allah will not take away ilm by you know, taking ilm from the memories of people, making them forget everything or taking it away from the people. But how will it go away? Yantazi'uhu, He will take it away min al-ibad from the servants. Walakin but yaqbidu, He will take it. Yantazi'uhu min al-ibad. This is an explanation of intiza'an. Okay? So let's look at it again. Inna Allah la yaqbidu al-ilma intiza'an. Allah will not take away knowledge by pulling it away. Yantazi'uhu that he would take it away min al-ibad from the servants. Walakin but yaqbidu al-ilma. He will seize knowledge, he will take away knowledge biqabdil ulama by taking away the scholars. By the death of the knowledgeable people. Hatta until Ida when Lam Yubuki he will not remain Aliman, even one scholar. To a point that not even a single knowledgeable person will remain. اتَّخَذَ النَّاسُ The people will take رُؤُوسًا Leaders رُؤُوس plural of رَئِيس over here meaning leader so they will take their leaders who جُهَالًا ignorant ones they will make ignorant people their leaders فَسُؤِلُوا so they will be asked who will be asked their leaders will be asked by who? by their subordinates فَأَفْتَوْ so their leaders will give fatwa they will answer بِغَيْرِ ilmin without any knowledge. فَضَلُّوا So they will be astray. وَأَضَلُّوا And they will lead astray. They will be lost themselves and they will also lead other people astray. 
قال الفربري الفربري said حدثنا عباس قال حدثنا قتيبة حدثنا جرير عن هشام نحوه another سند what do we learn in this that when the scholars die knowledge will go away when the people of knowledge are gone then knowledge will be gone because when they will go no one will replace them why will no one replace them because no one is like them they had ilm the people after them do not have ilm they strive to learn the people after them did not strive to learn they learned and they taught but the people after them did not bother to learn or to teach so when they will die their seats will be empty their classes will be empty their positions will be empty no one will come to fill them in why what's the reason because the people they are more interested in other things just imagine if there is a person in a particular company if he goes away another comes and replaces him okay like for example steve jobs right when he died the person who has come after him it's as though the company has not been affected at all by the death of steve jobs it has not been affected at all why because another has come and replaced him and he is working the same way that his predecessor was working so the company is not affected the products are not affected nothing at all is affected in fact it's only improving but if a person dies but nobody is there to take his place then what's going to happen to that company it's going to deteriorate and eventually it will go bankrupt eventually it will be closed down so what is our responsibility that while we are alive we must prepare others who are able to take our place we must prepare others who are able to take our place and if we don't prepare them then what's going to happen when we go the knowledge will also go isn't it so the people who have ilm when they go their ilm will also go with them so we learn this hadith that ilm will vanish it will disappear by the death of those people who have ilm and when they are gone nobody is going to replace them now what is the reason why nobody is ready to replace them because first of all they weren't prepared why weren't they prepared because they did not come up like for example many times it happens that people offer that, that somebody would like to learn somebody would like to do this somebody would like to do that but people don't show their dedication they don't come up when they don't come up when they're not trained when the need is there then who can come up and fulfill that nobody can so when people are distracted when people are distracted by other things when they desire other things then they will not desire ilm and when they will not desire ilm then they will not excel in ilm when they will not excel in ilm they will not be able to replace the ulama they will not be able to take their place when a person gains ilm and when he excels in it only then can he take up that position and also we see that for example these days people will aspire to do many things they will desire to do many things but when it comes to learning the ilm of deen it has become like a dated thing it has become like something that people of the past used to do it's a profession that people of the past would have but these days no you're you're supposed to do something else so this is how gradually ilm will completely disappear it will completely vanish and we see this that people who want to learn the deen they are discouraged and people who want to learn something else they are encouraged a lot so this is how eventually knowledge of the deen will disappear and we see that for example these days many people will come and learn the deen isn't it so you go to any class it's full mashallah any class it's full 
But how many people study with the intention of excelling in that ilm so that they can carry it on to others? How many people study with that intention and how many people actually fulfill that? That they study in a manner that they can actually pass it on to others. Unfortunately, what happens is that people study, but then what happens? They move on to other things and they forget their ilm that they acquired. They don't pass it on to others and they also forget it themselves. They move on to other things and they forget whatever they had learned. And they get busy in other things. And the few who do remain, who do want to study more, who do want to excel further, so much work comes upon them that it's almost unfair. That they're left to do so much that it's almost unfair. So we all have to check ourselves over here that how seriously are we learning? With what intention are we learning? Many times it happens that a person will learn tajweed. Why? Just to improve their tajweed. Very good. But don't just learn for yourself. Also learn to help other people, to carry that knowledge on to others. And many times people will learn the deen to you know, believe that they have given the haqq of the deen, they have given the haqq of the Qur'an, they have given the haqq of Allah by learning, you know, for example, the Qur'an, or by learning the meaning of the Qur'an, or whatever it may be. But we don't give the haqq of the Qur'an by reading it only once, by studying it only once. الَّذِينَ آتَيْنَاهُمُ الْكِتَابَ يَتْلُونَهُ حَقَّ تِلَاوَتِهِ And what is حَقَّ تِلَاوَتِهِ? Reading it once? Studying it once? No. حَقَّ تِلَاوَتِهِ can only be done when a person continuously reads, reads, reads. This is something that never comes to an end. So this is applicable to not just learning and teaching, but also when it comes to any kind of Islamic work. That there are people who are very dedicated, they put in all of their effort into doing something, but eventually the time comes when they have to go. But nobody's there to replace them. Nobody's there to carry on that work, to continue that mission. What dedication does to a nation as a whole? Uh, we all are familiar with the Jewish people, how they were treated during the World War, Second World War. And they were all scattered and beaten up and everything. So they decided to do, uh, we have to do something to bring the nation together. And the first time they established a university in Israel, the now Israel, and uh, they worked for 18 years without a holiday until they had established the university and had fulfilled all the needs of it so that they could teach their nation themselves. And look where they are now and where we are this time. Yeah. So knowledge will be taken away by the death of the people of knowledge. Until not even one alim will remain. Why? Because there is no one who put in that effort to learn, who dedicated themselves to learning, who dedicated themselves to excelling in that ilm. Many times people have to be given so many incentives, you know, come and teach this. And they have to be begged and they have to be pleaded to, please come and teach this one person, please come and teach these two people, please come and teach these children. Why is it? When it comes to dunya, we don't need to be given any incentives. We don't have to be begged. We don't even have to be requested once. We will go ourselves. But when it comes to the deen, teaching the deen, then what happens? We feel that we are not qualified enough. What's the problem over there? It's because we did not put in as much effort perhaps. Think about it yourself. Your graduation is coming up very soon. And a lot of you perhaps still have some tests or assignments to complete. It's been so many months. But we don't take this work seriously, unfortunately. When it comes to dunya, we ourselves are so careful. This is my degree. This is my deadline. If I don't complete my assignment, if I don't give it in, I won't get my degree. But when it comes to 
an Islamic course, and we keep delaying, we keep delaying, we keep delaying, if this is our attitude, then what will we have at the end? Eventually, this is how knowledge will go away. And you might wonder, oh, alhamdulillah, I know enough, you know, I'm living my life happily. It doesn't, you know, so what if the people of the future don't have ilm? But what's going to happen to your children? Who's going to teach your children how to read Qur'an? Who's going to teach your children, your grandchildren, the meaning of the Qur'an? Who's going to teach them how to pray? If you feel you're not affected, your children will be affected. So if you want to save your children, save other people as well. Otherwise, the vacancies will be there, but there will be no candidates, right? No applicants, no one to be interested in that profession, no one to be interested in that position to help other people out to teach them. There is such a shortage of qualified teachers. Let me give you an example. My son is only two and a half years old and I've been looking for a teacher for him to teach him out of Qur'an from now because I'm afraid that when he's able to read, I won't be able to find a teacher who can teach him one-on-one every single day. And it's been over a year. I haven't found a teacher. Over a year. Learning the deen, you always have some sort of position, whether it's at home, whether it's uh, your neighbor. You, you're guaranteed a position, whether whatever skill you have. So that's the best part about learning the deen, that no matter what skill you have, whether it's arts and crafts, whether it's speaking, whether it's writing, whether it's designing boards, whatever, cleaning. A lot of women love cleaning, it's as sad as this is, but they do. Uh, and you can help out in any way, so that's the best part. So what are the reasons that people are prevented from or they hesitate to learn more in order to teach, in order to pass on the knowledge. What is it that prevents them? What is it that makes them hesitate? What are the fears that you may have? Be open about it so we can find solutions. Yes. So for example, they are too afraid to speak, they don't feel confident enough. So what's the solution to that? What's the solution? Learn. Right? If you become, if you dedicate yourself to learning, and perfecting what you can learn to the best of your ability, then you inshallah will be able to convey. So it's a shortcoming on our part. We have to, you can say, know better what we know so that we can convey it easily. And the fear that people don't want to learn, they, they would come here, but outside, like if you want to convey to somebody, you know you fear that, oh, they won't even care about this knowledge. Okay, that other people don't care, other people are not interested. I just told you there are so many people who are interested. Okay. I think there's always an element of fear um, because um, a lot of us don't know where to draw the line between humbleness and I guess the dean teaches us to stay humble and not be arrogant or whatever with your knowledge. So I think maybe a problem that we have in teaching is that we don't know where to draw the line because there's an element of fear there. Okay. So a person is afraid that he will be showing off. hmm? But the thing is that ask Allah to help you correct your intention. And the thing is that if you are stopped from doing something good out of fear of showing off, even that is a problem. If you don't do something good out of fear that I will be showing off, even that is not right. You're supposed to do it. I just wanted to say that a few years ago when I finished studying Quran, you know, there, there was a lot that needed to be done with the Loda and new classes, etc. And I was asked to do something, but at the time I was like, who am I to teach? I don't have any knowledge. Like, I'm not a scholar. I'm not anyone important. And I was too afraid to teach because... Just I thought it's not enough knowledge. And then before this course, actually, like since then, I've just been doing like little halakas for children, things like that, which I thought I was capable of doing. Until before this course, shortly before it, actually, there was a group that I took on. It was a halakha. And I was shocked that this group of sisters, how much they really didn't know. And I realized at that point that we don't need scholars. These people just wanted to know why we're not allowed to lie. 
okay, and are we allowed to lie in this situation? Are we allowed to lie in this situation? And I just remember, like, and it was certain, many conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And I just realized then that, you know what, we have a need. We don't need scholars. Well, scholars are great. Obviously, we need them. But we, even us who have just finished out in the Quran, yeah. the knowledge that we have is really important for many people in our community, around us, anywhere we go, because many people don't know even how to open the Quran and read it. Never mind do tafsir, never mind give basic concepts, ideas, etc. At that point when I realized that it's okay if I was to go out and do something. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So we think that only when we have perfected our ilm, when we have become excellent in everything, then we can go and teach. But again, as the sister said, that there's basics that people don't even know. So if you can help someone out with the basics as well, alhamdulillah. Like for example, in this class, in the, in the weekend class, there are so many people who don't know how to read Arabic. There are three groups of beginners who are being taught how to read Arabic. And how are you teaching them? Alif Bata, they're joining words, and they're sitting in a tafsir class. Now tell me, if they don't know how to read, how can they understand tafsir? How can they memorize a translation? And you know what they need? One-on-one. But we have only a few people to hold huge groups and to tell all of them together, this is uh, this is ba and this is how you connect the words and this is how you connect the letters. So many people. What's the ratio of student teacher? Fifteen to one, and we're teaching them basic literacy, how to read. And these are just people who have come here to learn. Imagine how many more there are who aren't even coming. So there is a need everywhere. I'm not saying that all of you have to come here. No, you have to go out, reach out in your communities, wherever you are, your family, friends, your relatives, anyone. What are you teaching them and how are you helping them? Oh, I was just given a group to uh, read the Qur'an. Mm-hmm. Tell us about them. They can't read the Qur'an. Okay. And uh, they're finding it very difficult. Even when I go over the ayat about three, four times with them, each one makes the same mistakes. And you can tell that they're reading it from memory as opposed to uh, looking at the mushaf, they can't, they don't know fatha from dhamma, they don't know their letters properly, but they're the, the intermediate group, from what I understand. So. And Sheikh Yasir Khadi was saying that the people who are very desperate to learn deen, they will come in conferences, they'll join some institute, somehow they will learn. But the people who are who don't even care about Qur'an, who will bring them to the conferences and institutes? He was saying you, the ones who are learning, can reach them. Contact, scholars right? can't reach them. Scholars can't reach them. But the ones who are learning this deen, they can bring those people to the conferences and then the next step would be to the institutes. And he was saying because the Quran is ingrained in our fitra, we need just to like enlighten their fitra by sharing little little bits of the Quran. And when their fitra is lightened, then it's, it will get, it will start charging and then they will connect to these conferences and these institutes. I really like the point of how he explained. Yeah. I visited Pakistan recently, and uh, I was amazed how the Quran teaching was going on. I visited two schools. One was in it's a it's a city in the heart of Punjab, it's, uh, Saiwal, and I visited Al Huda's a small Al Huda school there. And I visited one that was in the mountains. It's called Mari, and I visited there. Those people about this, like connecting to people and going out and doing outreach. I asked them that how do these girls come here? They said that. Almost 50% of the girls who want to, or women who want to learn, are not allowed to leave their homes to come to Halota to teach. But they are still learning. And I was amazed how the group in charge will go to their home and teach them and then take the tests to them. 
and those of you who were literate would write and there was those of you who had difficulty they would do it orally so i was like surprised out of my mind how this was going on and luckily i was there in in this uh, in this hilly area where they were they had a takmil of the quran and you know you have goosebumps how they were doing it there were girls somebody was very sick somebody and they have to travel far and wide even to go and get water for themselves to do to get the wood for their for their stove and they were still coming and some people some of them were sometimes they would encounter uh, snakes or scorpions or something and the other would remind them keep going you know he's he can't hurt you allah won't allow it to hurt you so this is like i was i couldn't even speak i was so overwhelmed by seeing the dedication of people who were teaching and who were learning like they were going to places for people who were sick who couldn't travel who weren't allowed to go to the quran class because it was too far or whatever their hang-ups were but these teachers would go and take the tests to the students when they would do the tests and then bring it back so subhanallah where there's a will there's a way yeah. if we want to do it we have to do it yes. and the later you wait the more the shaitan comes over you and says you have this 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 responsibility you can go you can't go you can't do it maybe when you're finished your responsibilities when you go but believe me respons- responsibilities keep on multiplying yes. they do not reduce so inshallah and we see that everything in life is difficult isn't it so if you want to achieve anything you want to do anything it will come with its own package of difficulties and challenges so everything is challenging So similarly when it comes to learning the deen when it comes to teaching the deen that is also challenging but you know what the good part is for that difficulties also inshallah there is reward in kuntum ta'lamuna fa innahum ya'lamuna kama ta'lamun wa tarjuna min allahi ma la yarjun So Michael so I was just saying that the number of people like let's say some of these sisters mashallah are going back to school going back to high school university you could say I'm going to be starting a halaqa teaching tafsir etc but don't be discouraged like if only one person shows up yeah. It starts off that way, right? Of and even if that one person, you don't know what khair will come from them. Exactly. So even numbers, we shouldn't allow them to deter us, inshallah. Let's continue. In this hadith, what do we see mainly? In order to preserve knowledge, we have to pass it on. We have to spread it. coming and one of the ways of encouraging people to come join the talim al quran course or other courses is to introduce them give them that flavor of dora quran so i understand that not every one of us is at that level that we can deliver uh, ourselves but urdu and english alhamdulillah dora quran recordings are available if students in their areas are able to you know inshallah just gather some people in their own houses or sajid or places inshallah there's lots of ways of spreading this khair we need people to come and help us with dora quran and summer school here as well as for those who are coming from different areas they can consult us we can give them tips and guide them yes. as to how to conduct the dora quran at your homes yes. really that's the first grassroots level uh, thing that you start your interest in oh really this is something that we need to learn so inshallah right after our course the, uh, ramadan is coming whoever is interested please give your names again sign up sheet is still empty <laughs> i'd like to see more names on it and we can help you out yeah. and you see there are many people who will never come to the institute who will never go to a masjid But doesn't mean they should be deprived. If you can reach out to them, if you can teach them even one ayah, then you must do that. 
they think, uh, because they have the worldly knowledge or the intellectuals from a worldly standard, they seem to think, Dean, oh, you're studying ilm, you're so dedicated, you're so motivated, and you talk about a halakha or, or any course starting in Al-Huda or anywhere, maybe it is, where any other institution, they just right away, they just kind of brush it off. But the moment I kind of suggested, why don't I start doing something, they were so excited about it and they were willing to listen because they were comfortable with me, I guess, at that point. But then I just thought to myself, I said, you know, it's a starting point. And once they get the flavor of it, hopefully, inshallah, the doors of the institutions and massages are open for them, inshallah. So, but at least you get them started. Of course. So this is our responsibility that we have to get people started. And if we have to wait until we become scholars... Then I don't know when you can say that. I'm a scholar and I can teach people. And it's it would be very to, dangerous to claim that. It's gotten to a point where, mashallah, I have um, my mother-in-law who's in India. who She wants to learn from me. So it's it kind of extends. And you start off with one person and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the doors. Of course. So you take the first step. You have to take the initiative. And this can only come when you realize that you have to convey in whatever way that you can. Okay, we have to learn the hadith as well. Okay, last comment. Go ahead. I'm saying that um, we just had this hadith that we will be asked for whatever responsibility we have. It's Jannah is not for free, as Rishda was telling us yesterday. It's not for free. It's not on sale. And what are our choices? It's hell or heaven? Nothing else. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be asked, what did we do with the ilm that we learned? Very true. So a reminder for myself and all of you as well, that convey in whatever way that you can. Pass on this knowledge in whatever way that you can. If you don't, you will forget it. You will lose it. And knowledge will die like this. So pass it on, whether through writing or by speaking, in whatever way. Whatever strength Allah has given you, use that strength. Use it. Some people are very good at writing. Write. Some people are very good at talking. So talk. Whatever way that you can. But inshallah do it. And remember the Bani Israel. What happened with them? Even they lost knowledge, right? How? When they were distracted by other things. When dunya became more important to them. When they wanted the basal and the adas and bakal, then they lost their in. When they wanted dunya, they lost their deen. So we have to ask ourselves as well over here that how important is this knowledge of deen to us? If it is important to us, then we must strive to excel in it. We must strive to spread it, to convey it. And whether it requires our money or our time or our efforts, whatever, dedicate yourself wholeheartedly into it and Allah will put barakah inshallah. It's amazing how when we go to a grocery store, you know, $50, $100, they go nowhere. But when it comes to buying a book, we're like, $10, is it really worth it? This course, okay, fees is $25, fees is $30, fees is $100, is it really worth it? We go to groceries every week, twice a week, more than that sometimes, and it's not a problem. This is where shaitan comes to us. He is the one who threatens us. He doesn't want this knowledge to spread. He doesn't want that this khair should reach out to people. That people who are in dalal, they should become rightly guided. So whenever such waswas has come to you, I can't do it. You know, I'm too tired. I have too much on my plate. Just shun them. Get rid of them. 
Maybe this is going to happen in the next six months. That's why I can't commit because then I will have to get out of my commitment. One sister who committed for the weekend course, Alhamdulillah, she worked very well from the beginning of the course till now. All of a sudden, something has changed. She has to go. But I was thinking she preserved the reward of helping us out all these months. She learned a lot. She gained value experience. So wherever she goes, she's now able to serve Deen better. So Alhamdulillah, there's benefit in it. We shouldn't let uh, you know uncertainties yeah. stop us. Exactly. Let's continue. باب هل يجعل للنساء هل should يجعل it should be appointed للنساء for the women يوم a day على حدة على حدة meaning alone for them حدة from واحد so only for them في العلم for knowledge meaning should a day be fixed for women alone to learn should a day be fixed for women alone so that they can learn what's the answer Yes, it should be. As we learned earlier, that it is not an obligation upon women to learn to teach as much as it is an obligation on who? On the men. Why? Because women go through different phases in life. Many times it's difficult for them. Sometimes it becomes impossible for them. So it's not an obligation on them as it is on the men. The men are required. It is a must on them. But the women not as much. But there are some things that women, no matter what their state in life is, no matter what they're going through in life, they must learn about those things. Because we know that some type of ilm is faridah. It's fard ain, And other type is fard kifaya. So when it comes to fard ain, what is that? Like for example, your salah, the recitation of the Qur'an, the meaning of the Qur'an, how to raise your children, how to live a productive, beneficial life, how to prepare for your akhirah. All of this is what? Related to ilm that is wajib on you to learn on every single person. So a woman must learn that as well. But if a woman is busy because of her children, because of her family, or because of whatever the situation is, should she take out at least one day to learn? Yes. And should the teachers make themselves available for at least one day to teach them? Yes. If they're busy five days a week, they can only come on Saturday. Should they come? Yes. And if you're busy five days a week, should you make one day for them? Yes, because that's the only day when they can come. They cannot come during the week. So if they can only come on Saturday, should you not make yourself available? Yes, it would be convenient for me to stay at home, enjoy my Saturday morning and Sunday morning. But there are people who need to learn. And if I don't go out, Allah will ask me. He will question us. Because this ilm is also a blessing. When you read something, don't you enjoy? When you learn something, aren't you pleased? This is also a pleasure, this is also a blessing, and we'll be asked about it. So, هَلْ يُجْعَلُ لِلنِّسَاءِ يَوْمٌ عَلَى حِدَةٍ فِي الْعِلْمِ Just a day exclusively for them, so that they can learn on that day. Yes, there should be a day that is appointed for them. حَدَّثَنَا آدَمُ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا شُعْبَةُ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي إِبْنِ الْأَصْبَهَانِيِّ قال سمعت أبا صالح ذكوان يحدث عن أبي سعيد الخدري. So Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he narrated that قالت, she said, who said? النساء, the women. The women said to who? للنبي, to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. They said to him that غلبنا, غلبنا, he has overpowered us. Meaning they have defeated us. عليك upon you الرجال, the men. Meaning the men have surpassed us in learning. They have overcome us in learning. Meaning, they're always with you. They're always learning from you. And we can't do that. 
Why? Because A, because we're busy at homes with our children. And secondly, because the men are always around you. So we don't have the opportunity to come to you. If the men are always around the Prophet ﷺ, then how would the women be able to come and ask him their questions or you know, learn different things from him? So they said, غَلَبَنَا عَلَيْكَ الرِّجَالٍ So appoint for us يَوْمًا a day min nafsik From yourself, meaning it's your choice. You choose which day. Okay, you choose which day. But please appoint for us just one day. So that we can learn from you. So the Prophet ﷺ فَوَعَدَهُنَّ So he promised them يَوْمًا a day لَقِيَهُنَّ He met them فِيهِ in it. So he responded to their invitation. And he promised them that he would meet them on a particular day لَقِيَهُنَّ فِيهِ فَوَعَضَهُنَّ And then he advised them, he admonished them وَأَمَرَهُنَّ And he also taught them, he also instructed them. So he exhorted them to do good things and he also commanded them, he also told them as to what they should do. فَكَانَ So there was fima in what? قَالَ لَهُنَّ He said to them. So one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ said to them was what? مَا مِنْكُنَّ There is not among you imra'atun A woman. تُقَدِّمُ She sends ahead سَلَاسَةً Three مِنْ وَلَدِهَا From her children إِلَّا except كَانَ لَهَا It will be for her hijaban A veil, a screen مِنَ النَّارِ From the hellfire. Any woman among you whose three children have died, تُقَدِّمُ means that they have died. So who have died, except that those children will be what? A barrier for her from the hellfire. She will be prevented from going to hellfire because of who? Because of those children of hers who have died. فَقَالَتِ مُرَأَةٌ So a woman said, وَثْنَيْنِ And what about two? Meaning if a woman loses two children. فَقَالَ So he said, وَثْنَيْنِ And also two. It's not just three, but also two. And from other narrations, we also learned that even one child. And also to the point that if a fetus, meaning the unborn child, if he also dies, then that will also be a means of forgiveness for the mother on the Day of Judgment. What do we learn in this hadith? We see the hirs that the women of the Sahaba had for ilm. The yearning, the desire they had to learn more. Despite the fact that it was not an obligation on them. Why do you think they wanted to learn? It was not an obligation on them. So why did they want to learn? Why did they desire it? Why were they greedy for it? Because it's beneficial. Ilm is beneficial. So some classes, it may be mandatory on us to attend them. It's an obligation on us. We commit it. But other classes, it's quite possible they're not mandatory on us. But should we attend them anyway? Why? Isn't it a waste of time? You've already learned that. It's not mandatory on you. Why should you go and attend that class? Huh? To get the benefit. What benefit? That it's quite possible you forgot something and you will remember. It's quite possible that you will learn something new that you were never exposed to before. And it's quite possible you will benefit from the blessing of that majlis. Right? Because a gathering of ilm, what happens over there? The angels come over there, right? And such people, they receive the mercy, the special blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sakina. When we're going through problems, we stay alone and we cry. What's the solution? Go and sit in a gathering of knowledge. We see that it was not an obligation on them to learn, but still they wanted to learn. Why? Because of the benefits of ilm. Because of the khair it brings to a person. And we see that when they requested the Prophet ﷺ, they 
gave him a choice that it's up to you. Right? It's up to you. Whenever you can make yourself available, we'll come. So first of all, we see that the students should leave the teacher to decide when to teach. And secondly, we see that when the teacher is requested, what should he do? He should make himself available. Because when the Prophet ﷺ was requested, he responded to that invitation. He accepted it. And he did appoint a day for the women so that they could learn. So there are two things that we learn over here. Because when somebody asks you about ilm and you don't tell them, then what is this? Concealing knowledge, right? And concealing knowledge is a great crime. is a punishable act. So if we are being asked to share what we know, then we should go ahead. And if we cannot go ahead, then we must provide a substitute, an alternate. That people are not deprived of learning. If they need to learn, they are able to learn. And we see that when the Prophet ﷺ taught the women, what did he teach them? Ilm that was of relevance to them. Women, who is most beloved to them? Their children. It is said that even when, that a woman when she has her children, her love for her children is more than her love for her husband. So a woman loves her children. And imagine if a woman has lost her children. Imagine if a woman has lost a baby. Even if a woman has miscarried, it's a great test for her. It's something very painful for her. She has never seen that child, but still, she could have that child and that child is gone. It's a big tragedy for her. It's a big, big loss for her. But look at the words that the Prophet ﷺ said to them. Look at what he taught them. Something that gave them hope. Isn't it so? Something that comforted them. That yes, you've had a great loss, but don't worry. This will be a means of protection for you from the hellfire. So when we are teaching other people, then what should we teach them? Something that will frighten them and scare them and turn them away. And we make them feel they're the most sinful people. And they will be never forgiven. That's what we should do. We should start with what? Bashiran, right? Good news. Bashiran wa nadira. So start with good news. Start with things that are of relevance, that will give them hope, that will make them desire to learn more. So, but I was not sure that how I will do this, but I was doing dua. So Allah gave me tawfiq and a chance to teach them. So Alhamdulillah, I teach them through Skype and I have fixed the day for them. So why I started, because one of my cousin, like he's, you know, a very remote area of sin. And then he was saying, yeah, uh, sister, I request you to teach women's. I said, why women's only? So he was saying, if they will come on the right path, then our, all houses will come on the right path. Because mother changed the nations. And then, uh, subhanAllah, these ladies, like, you know, they start coming, so I don't know how to start them, but alhamdulillah, we start with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from that small, small step, mashallah, there are so many women there. And uh, there's one lady, she don't know who am I. Like, she's a, she's known that I'm a Muslim, but she don't know who is a Muslim also. And she don't know anything, but when these ladies come, so she run with, and then she comes, always she's there and sitting there. And subhanAllah, like, uh, when I see her and I say she, her greediness to just learn deen, even she don't know any single thing, how to read, how to write, how to say something. But slowly how she's learning this thing. SubhanAllah. I was thinking about this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ didn't say that I'm very busy and I cannot fix a day for you. Maybe somebody else could teach you. 
So who is more busy or who would have been more busy than Rasulullah wasallam? and for him to take one day out to teach women who requested for whom it was for the kifaya just to learn or it was not mandatory for them to learn that. But he responded to their desire, their hirs to learn and he went anyway. We have one nafs, okay, one person to look after and we say we don't have time. Or we have one husband or one child, or two, and we think we don't have time. How big was the family of the Prophet ﷺ? How big was it? How many wives did he have? How many people were around him? He had to lead people in prayer five times a day. Five times a day. Five commitments, minimum for every single day. But still he made the time to teach the women. So whatever we can do, we must take the time out to pass on this knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And the women were not completely deprived of learning. We see that when the Prophet ﷺ gave the khutbah, many times women would also be there towards the back of the masjid. But the men would also be there. And the women would hesitate perhaps in asking questions in front of other men. It happens, right? You don't feel comfortable asking questions or giving comments or asking things in front of other men. Isn't it so? So this is the reason why they requested Special time with the Prophet ﷺ. And he did make himself available. So if somebody requests you, one-on-one please. You can also do that sometimes if it's possible for you. But respond. We see that these are the women who were so eager to learn. And their children were who? Either the Sahaba or the Tabi'een. Let's continue. حدثنا محمد بن بشارن قال حدثنا غندر قال حدثنا شعبة عن عبد الرحمن بن الأصبهاني عن ذكوانة عن أبي سعيد الخدري عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بهذا meaning he narrated the same hadith وعن عبد الرحمن بن الأصبهاني قال he said سمعت أبا حازم عن أبي هريرة from a different narration which أبو هريرة عنه has narrated قال he said ثلاثة three children لم يبلغ الحنس three children who have not reached the age of hints what is hints Hints. What's the meaning of the word hints? Sin. وَكَانُوا يُصِرُّونَ عَلَى الْحِنْسِ الْعَظِيمِ So hints is sin. What does it mean by hints over here? The age of hints. Meaning the age when the wrong actions of a person are considered hints. So what is that age? Age of puberty. Before that if a child does something wrong, is he held accountable? No. So, سَلَاسَةً لَمْ يَبْلُغُ الْحِنْسَ Meaning three children who have not yet reached the age of puberty. Losing any children is a big loss. But losing children who are young, who are infants, who have not yet reached the age of puberty is a greater loss. And the Prophet ﷺ when he said to them that this will be a means of hijab for you in the hereafter, then just imagine the comfort, the happiness, the joy that those women must have experienced. Any woman who has lost a child, you know, this is something that she does not forget. I know a lady who is perhaps in her 80s and she lost a child who was also young. I don't know how old that child was when he died. But till today she remembers. Till today she mentions. It's a big loss for her. But look at the hope that he gave. So why would a woman be rewarded in this way for her sabr and for her Ihtisab for her patience and her ihtisab expecting reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this great loss. Because reward is only there when a person looks forward to it, when a person expects it. Ihtisab has to be there. 
Man shay'an, the one who heard something, faraja'a, then he went back to it, hatta ya'rifahu, until he completely comes to know of it, meaning he completely understands it. What does it mean by raja'a? Muraja'a, ruju'a, is to go back to something. So this means that when somebody said something, you go back to it, meaning asking a question about it, or repeating a question. Asking one question after the other. That you're stuck there. You go back to that point again and again. Why? Because you did not understand it. So you ask questions about it. Is that permissible? Of course it is. So sometimes it happens that something is explained and you understand it the first time. Sometimes it happens that you have to ask. So you ask one question, you understand. But still you don't get it. Should you ask again or should you feel shy and hesitate? Don't feel shy. Ask again. If still you don't understand, ask again. Ask until you come to know, until you completely, completely understand. حدثنا سعيد بن أبي مريم قال أخبرنا نافع ابن عمر قال حدثني ابن أبي مليكة أن عائشة تر عائشة رضي الله عنها زوج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم كانت she used to لا تسمع شيئا she would not hear anything that لا تعرفه that she did not understand. إِلَّا إِكْسَبْتْ رَاجَعَتْ فِيهِ She would go back to it. She would do rujur to it. حَتَّى أَنْتِلْ تَعْرِفَهُ She would come to know of it. Meaning she would question about it. She would discuss it. She would ask about it. Until she would come to know of it. Come to understand it completely. What happens with us? If we don't understand, oh never mind. We don't understand, oh never mind. Don't have that attitude. A person who has hirs for ilm, he is not satisfied with you know, something that he does not understand. No. He will ask, he will investigate until he fully understands. And this was the attitude of Aisha anha. إِلَّا رَاجَعَتْ فِيهِ حَتَّى تَعْرِفَهُ وَأَنَّ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ And that the Prophet ﷺ once he said that مَنْ حُوسِبَ The one who is called to account. حُوسِبَ The one whose hisab is done. The one who is called to account. عُدِّبَ he will be punished. The person who is called to account on the day of judgment by who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then what will happen to that person? Uddiba. Then he will be punished. Qalat Aisha, Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, فَقُلْتُ So I said, أَوَلَيْسَ يَقُولُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not say, فَسَوْفَ يُحَاسَبُ حِسَابًا yasira? You understand the question? You said that manhusiba uddiba, the person who was called to account, he will be punished. But doesn't Allah say, fasawfa yuhasabu hisabin yasira, hisabin yasira, easy accounting, easy reckoning. Qalat, she said, faqala, so the Prophet ﷺ said, innama thalika, indeed that, meaning the one that is mentioned in the ayah, is al-ard. Al-ard, meaning just presentation, just being presented for the hisab. وَلَكِنْ بَدْ مَنْ نُوْقِشَ The one who is scrutinized, the one who is interrogated, meaning the one who is asked, why did you do this? نُوْقِشَ الْحِسَابَ يَهْلِكْ He will be destroyed. He will be punished. So the Prophet ﷺ explained to her that in the ayah, فَسَوْفَ يُحَاسَبُ حِسَابٍ يَسِيرًا Over there, hisab is only referring to ard, that a person will be presented for accounting. So Allah will ask him, that did you do such and such? Did you do such and such? And a person will confess. Allah will ask him, you did such and such on that day. And a person will confess to the point that a person will think that that's it, I am doomed. But the one who will have hisab and yasira, then Allah will say to him that, 
That in the world, I concealed these sins for you and today I will forgive them for you. I will forgive you for those sins. So this is what Hisab and Yisira, and this is only Al-Ard. And this is the reason why we should always make dua, Allahumma hasibni Hisab and Yisira. Because the one who is questioned, the one who is interrogated, why? Then that's it. Because if Allah asks us, why did you do that? What answer do we have? What answer do we have? What justification can we give? What excuse can we present? Nothing is acceptable. Because when Allah has commanded us, then we have to obey. And if we haven't, then we are a hundred percent guilty. So if Allah asks someone why, then they're doomed. So hisab and yasira is that Allah will forgive someone. So what do we learn in this hadith? About the attitude of Aisha radiallahu anha. The hirs that she had for not just ilm, but understanding ilm. Understanding it. And this is why she would go back, she would repeat, she would revise, she would ask again, she would question if she did not understand something. And this is called aql, connecting things together. This is called true understanding. That when the Prophet ﷺ said something, she remembered an ayah. And she tried to reconcile the two. She didn't understand, so she asked. This type of a question can come from who? Someone who thinks. Isn't it so? Someone who reflects. Someone who is inquisitive. Someone who is hadith for ilm. Because your questions reflect how you think. What your level is. So, in this hadith is a great lesson for understanding correctly. What prevents us from asking questions? Hmm? Sometimes shyness and sometimes it's also pride. That what will they say? I ask this question, I don't even know about this. I have to pretend I know everything. I have to pretend I understand everything. So sometimes it is shyness and sometimes it is pride. And al-ilmu yadir'u bayna al-haya'i wal-kibr. One more thing that we understand from here is that, from this hadith is that there is no contradiction between the Qur'an and the sunnah. Prophet ﷺ said something. There was an ayah that apparently contradicted. Aisha Dilarnaha asked for an explanation and it was given. What does it show? That the Qur'an and Sunnah do not contradict. They do not contradict. If apparently there is a contradiction, there is always some, some explanation that we must seek to understand, that we must seek to know. Because if we don't then, this will lead to having doubts in the heart, weakening the iman, weakening the action as well. Anything you'd like to say before we conclude? We have five minutes. Many times it happens that we read something, we come to know something and we're like, but we learned something else. And what about that? And what about this? So don't jump to conclusions. Know that there is deficiency in your understanding, in your knowledge, and there is no problem with the Qur'an and Sunnah. I love Aisha and her for her personality. Like she was so feisty. Like if there was like when I first started learning about the Deen, there were so many things that I didn't understand and I would avoid learning them because I felt like like stuff about women that I would think wasn't fair or whatever. I would just sort of um, stay away from it because I was afraid that if I asked about it, I wouldn't agree with it and then my Iman would go down. But like oh, then I started learning the Sira and how Aisha was so feisty and she would ask questions about everything. And then... And look at her age, how young she was. Wasn't she? She was a teenager. She was so young. But despite that, she asked so many questions. 
Imagine if she hadn't asked this question. Just imagine. Wouldn't we be deprived? So ask questions. You never know. Other people may learn as well. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.